Hello, this is Rico. You're listening to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. This will be podcast number 431 for the week of April the 7th, 2013. The following is an interview that I did on April 5th with author Nicholas Eftimiades, who's written a really cool sci-fi book called Edward of Planet Earth. And I think everyone's going to really get a kick out of this interview. It was really fun to do. And we talk all about tech and AI and Star Trek too. Just, just really a, a lot of uh, interesting topics. So uh, stay tuned for this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi podcast with Rico Dosti and friends. Your weekly dose of geeky goodness. everyone welcome to this special edition of treks in sci-fi for this week this is rico your host and on skype with me today i have author and uh nick i'm going to try to get your name right uh this is author nicholas f timiades how was that, was yeah, that pretty, that's pretty good? it perfect <laughs> and nick has written a book that we're going to be discussing here on the podcast today uh that is called edward of planet earth I guess it would be described as a sci-fi novel in general terms. Is that true? Would you call it oh, that? Yeah. Or, and it um, is. It's got a lot of really cool and interesting ideas in it. I, I've I've read uh, it, and Nick provided me with a copy, and I thought it would be fun to talk to him about it and and let everyone know about this interesting book that uh, can be bought on Amazon. And I don't know if that's the only place. Is that the only one, Nick? Um, well, oh, oh, just for the moment, and I have it released in the next. Uh, um, at the end of April on Smashwords and Sony and just about every other place. Oh, great, great. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit more background. I'm going to read a little bit of your blurb on Amazon, and then I'll let you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe your how you got started writing this book and, and more detail. Uh, Nick is an author and a lecturer. He lives in London. Is that still accurate? You never know uh, about that. That is, yes. And his career spans, uh, he's worked uh, for several U.S. government agencies, and he's traveled around the world, Africa, Latin America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Where haven't you been? Australia? I didn't see that. Um, I was there a couple of months ago. All right. And he's authored several books. I believe this Edward of Planet Earth is your first fiction novel. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Okay. And uh, the other books are on things like uh, technology, national security, outer space issues. The uh, The book itself, Edward of Planet Earth, uh, is listed here as in a madcap adventure that spoofs modern life from organized religion to the traffic control system. And the story takes place about 200 years in the future where Edward Temple, an ordinary person, 
is caught up in the zany world where self-aware computers are as argumentative, egotistical, demanding, and emotionally needy as the humans they serve. Everything is fair game as Edward navigates befuddled governments, psychotic software, and greedy corporations. Is that a pretty good... Uh, I always wonder about these blurbs. Do you write that, or, or is someone else writing that? Um, I wrote that, and uh, but, y- you know, you don't write it yourself. You sort of write it, and um, people who then have read the book... Uh, typically, you, you know, give you their their impression of it, and it changes okay. in uh, a lot, obviously. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah, and I I think from from what I've read, the it's a pretty good description of, of the book. It, it's 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 to me a difficult book to put down in just a sentence or two. I think there's a lot going on in it. And uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you about this is. How did you get started on this? I, I, I'm assuming that you, and I, I, I could tell that you're a, you're a fan of science fiction and that. Uh, is this, you've always had that desire to write a novel, or, or how did it kind of come about? Uh, well, I, I think everyone, I, I think everyone has some desire to write uh, or to express themselves in some way, mm-hmm. um, creative way. Uh, and I've been a sci-fi fan for my entire life, as far as back as I can remember. Sure. Uh, and I will tell you, I was actually very lucky. Seven years of my government career, I spent in an organization called the National Security Space Office. Okay. And the uh, NSSO was a combination of actually the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.S. intelligence community uh, doing the long-term strategic planning for the types of space systems we expect to have out in 25 years from now. So I was just – I led – engineering and physics physicist teams and such to to design those systems and in what we'd call architectures um out in that time frame so of course you have tremendous exposure to futures technologies to the things that are being worked on now which are just extraordinary technologies coming down the pike with phenomenal implications just i mean for the species as a whole right so that actually got me thinking about it and and there's a constant um what if game you play so what if this technology actually comes into being? What are then the implications for the rest of the species? And as you play that game, it's sort of um, the uh, the results can be comical, as they are in Edward or Planet Earth, satirical in some senses, uh, because the technology is, is so advanced and yet the species is pretty much the same. Uh, so that's actually, I think, got me started thinking on that, that I was actually going to put this to paper. Yeah, I could definitely see that because of what I see a lot in when I, as I was reading this book is the fact that a lot of what you deal with isn't you've got the tech in there and you know these super advanced computer systems but you also deal with how that impacts and affects people's lives a lot. I mean that that's a lot of what you're you're dealing with in in the book and you know it's kind of like the I, I, my wife and I always talk about, you know, everyone's walking around these days with pretty much a computer in their pocket with their, their cell phone. And, and, you know, we're wondering what that's doing. She's a teacher and, and I have a science background. So, you know, what is that doing to people's knowledge base? You know, do they just become dependent on that? And, and I noticed some of that in this book where it, I, I get the impression that there's a lot of people out there in the world in this uh, setting of a couple of hundred years from now that 
if these massive computer systems kind of failed, they'd be up a creek a little bit. Right, right. I, actually, we, we should tell your audience that, that the book itself is a comedy. It's a satirical comedy. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of takes a technology and carries it to its furthest extreme. You know, these what they call the reductio ad absurdum arguments, right? It's just uh, if this actually happens, if you could clone people and you actually could clone people, would we have a black market trying to collect Angelina Jolie's DNA or something like right, that? Right, where they could you know, be uh, just whole so, like colonies of them, you know, sold off or whatever, right? Uh-huh. I mean, would you be trying to brush up against a professor, a famous professor, to scrape off a couple of skin samples yeah. and go sell them? Things like that. And and given the, the nature of the species, uh, add to it this advanced technology, and, and you start to get absurd situations that come out. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's the implications for the book. Actually, the book is um, as much a, um, a commentary and a look at, at, our, at humanity and social institutions as we have uh, created them. And as they are sort of collapsing in many ways, uh, you know, in the uh, with the introduction of advanced technology. Yeah, I mean, there are sometimes will people will say like you know the computer revolution or whatever you you label it as, or everyone being so connected or more connected, let's just say than they used to be, has sort of become. Some people will say that it's separated people, but in a way, sometimes, and I see it, I try to see it this way that it's actually brought people. You know, like even doing this interview with you today, it it actually can bring people together. And and again, a lot of the stuff that I see in the book is is how these different things affect the people and and how they're dealing with the technology present there. And it, it has a lot of, uh, I noticed, it has, I'm a big fan of Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide, and you've probably heard this from other people that have read it, but I, it, it has that kind of satire and comedy bent, you know, that he has where, I don't know how to describe it, but was that a pretty big influence on you for writing this book? Oh yeah, clearly it was. Actually, Doug Adams, I think is is uh, I, I just um, I didn't know how to put this, but I sort of I identified with the the thought process that mm-hmm. that you know that that came through in his work, and I, I think you know it's actually I got um, a couple of reviews that I was very happy about that people gave me. Um, Bill Prady, who's the co-creator of the Big Bang Theory TV show. Oh right, and, right, yeah, and, yeah, big big uh, fan of that show. It's a great show. Right. And, and he was the first one who actually put that to paper and said, you know, something like Nick has, you know, become the American Douglas Adams. Just I think the style of writing and thought was the same. So uh, I was actually thrilled when that came out because it was just it was a very high compliment from someone that um, that actually I respected in, in respect in the uh, in uh, the writing that he does. Sure. And, and he certainly has a has a, you know, a good, you know, experience in comedy and comedy on television and comedy even for geeks, kind of. I mean, you, you right. know, definitely knows, you know, I don't find that show. I find find that show pretty spot on most of the time. Sometimes they take things a little bit far, but I I, I, I get a kick out of it. So. Oh, so yeah, yeah. That, that's a great uh, comparison to make. Yeah, a, a flattering one. Um, and, and I don't know if you know, but on a short note, when I, I did get the chance to speak to him, actually, uh, about oh, okay. this. And, uh, and he told me that the show was based um, on his childhood friends. So Oh, I've never heard that before. Okay, yeah. Yeah, th- those characters in the show represent people he knew in childhood. Ah, okay. I wonder which one he is. <laughs> that, that would be the <laughs> obvious question to ask. 
Bill, which one are you? Are you Sheldon? Really? No. <laughs> I'd have a hard time believing that, <laughs> that anyone was really Sheldon, but uh, maybe maybe a little bit exaggerated. So uh, so the, 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 the process of uh, – the other thing I wanted to ask about your, this book and, and on how you dealt with uh, doing it, because there are a lot of people that actually listen to the podcast that, that do some writing. We've had writers on the forum that have – you know, they're – we even had a ongoing thing that we were writing our own little Star Trek sort of side story, not with the Star Trek characters, but with our own sort of cast of characters. So there's definitely people listening that are into writing. I was interested in the process when you actually sat down to sort of write the book. Did you sort of outline it out? Did you just sort of say, hey, here we're starting at the beginning and just go? Or, or what, was your, what's your, what was your approach to it? Well, um I got to admit, you know, a lot of it was based on single malt scotch. So I'm not sure I remember the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all right. You know, if whatever, whatever works, you know, what, you know, there's, a, I think there's a lot of authors in history that have that, you know, have, have something there beside them to give them some inspiration. Well, uh, that was certainly me during this process. Um, I, I'll tell you a couple of things that I, I noted for me, um, creating this entire world um, what was not something that you can do in a, in a 10 minute segment. Sure. Uh, so it was something that you really had to kind of get your mind in the game, as they say. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I didn't plan anything out in this more than let's say a chapter at a time. Oh, I mean, okay. I, I knew the way it was generally going. And then I, I sort of had an idea about the ending. So I knew the way it was going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I started putting blocks in and building them and, and the story is, is, um, as you've seen, as you've read is somewhat intricate. I mean, things that happen in one chapter, just ridiculous things lead to something that happens, you know, well in, in several chapters later. Yes. So, yes. There's definitely, so I, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there are a lot of people who say, wait a minute. I remember that. And they, they go back and they flip back in pages. Didn't that happen here? And they go back and forth, which was sort of the intent. It's it's um, a book that you really have to, I, I mean, I'd like to think it's a funny book. That's what it's designed to be, a very funny book. But it's something that you have to really think through, you, you know, and you stop and say, wait a minute, did the author just say that? And you look back half a page and say, oh, wait, that's ridiculous. That's a, you know, and, and that's sort of hits you in that sense. So um, that type of thing is actually pretty complex and there were a couple of times I did actually have to stop and say, wait a minute, this thread isn't running through. And you have to be um, assured that those that those threads as you're designing a plot uh, are really coming together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could I could see that. And I've even as I was reading it, it would skip back a little bit on my Kindle and say, you know, oh, yeah, that's, you know, what happened back here. And that's this computer system again. And, the, you know, there. I have to say, as I'm reading it, your your core characters, Edward and, and his lady friend, Amanda, right? Yeah, Amanda. Mm-hmm. She's the two of them. There's a lot of other characters and people that they come in contact with. But these these computer systems that you have given also names in the book are just as much, you know, fairly major characters in in the story as as, as much as a human you know, right. is or or maybe even more in some cases. So the those you know characters are at least those computer systems. I found yeah, just as kind of had a, had a personality. Certainly had a, a, as much of a personality as any other 
book character type of thing. And was it fun to kind of write those? I, I would imagine that because because they're kind of definitely out there a little bit as far right. as they're not your average person, at least. If you met them, you'd, they'd probably be in, in, some of them would be in an asylum. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was, that was the fun part of the book. I mean, yeah. that, that really was coming out with personalities. Um, I, I'll, I'll just say for the book, there's an initial premise on this, that, that an individual many, many years ago, you know, for, when, when you're, when you're in the time frame of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, some time ago, uh, comes up with a personality designed for computers, and that spreads basically is transferred as a virus almost to computers all over the planet. And they yes. wind up creating mm-hmm. it back and forth and other personalities get mixed in and computers wind up with split personalities and just pretty much as as uh, sort of psychotic and difficult as as human beings are. So there's this constant passing of personalities and evolving behavior uh, in the course of computers globally. And, and that sets the premise for uh, for characters uh, within the book. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really fun to, to read those, uh, different characters. And, and I, and I enjoyed the names that you gave them too. that. Those must've been, they were, they're pretty specific as far as, and, and they kind of, kind of give you a little bit of a glimpse, a little bit of what kind of a character these, you know, AIs, if you call them that in the, you know, what they're like, it gives you right. a little uh, bit actually- of Go ahead. Actually, you you caught that. Yeah. Which is, um, oh, good. Okay, yeah. good. I'm not completely lost. <laughs> it, the one one big thing I really wanted to ask you about this. There's obviously a lot of and and you said this uh, alluded to it a little bit at the beginning. You talked about your some of what your work was doing. You know these very advanced systems and things that you've dealt with gave you these what if scenarios and and you know what if computers basically got to the point where almost like data on Star Trek the Next Generation they were they were alive in a way and they and right. they 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 could think for themselves and and that there's i guess a feeling here from this book that i mean how much of this do you do you kind of think in a couple hundred years could kind of come to pass is, is what I, I guess I'm getting at. Uh, honestly, I think all of it. Yeah. I, it just will. I'm, I'm, I'm here to say, I mean, I have been immersed in decades in some of the most advanced technologies on this planet and it's what is coming down the pike is just extraordinary. Well, wasn't and, there a classic test? What, I don't know. Isn't there a classic example that they've done? And I've heard of this many times of like, we're basically right, the there's a test. Yes, that's the one. And, Somebody's at a computer terminal, right? And they ask a series, or I think they're able to, they're told that they can ask a series of questions. And the, the, the point of it is, is are they talking to a person on the, you know, on the other end of the terminal? Or are they talking to just a computer, you know, that is programmed to the point, right. the software is to the, to the level and to the point that it can be, it's indistinguishable from a, a human being. And, and that, uh, you know, this, you get... Definitely, with your book, you're you're going to the point where, you know, these computers are are even, you know, a million times past that. A lot of them having much more personality than even some some characters in in stories in different books. You know, they have they're they're almost to the extreme. And and I, one of the points you, I think you kind of make it, that I found really interesting in the book is that it seems like the, some of the the reasons they've these computer systems have gotten to this point is that they are so 
fast and so able to process information. You know, the point is that if a person could really grasp all the information that a computer system could and could process it, that we probably all eventually go a little crazy, if if not, you know. So there, there's there's almost like built-in safeguards to humans where these computers almost don't seem to have them. Was that something you were sort of focusing on or that you had in mind that, you know, that they can process all these different possibilities and think, and think a million times faster than oh, we sure. can? Oh, sure, because if, yeah. you, if you see the reach of the computers on this, I mean, Max, the computer that controls global transportation right. and literally has to interface with, in this time period, smart, smart um uh, vehicles and transportation and planes and everything all over the planet millions and millions of times a second. I mean, just interfacing with those types of uh, right. vehicles that are moving. So, right. you know, the, the data, you try and give a, a, an understanding of the magnitude of the data and at the same time that this particular software is uh, learning how to ingest uh, software cocktails, basically. So, yeah, so, right. Uh, they're, 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 he, like he'll say he's he's off. He's got this little little side junction or whatever that he's doing this on while he's managing the whole planet's transportation system. Right. He's got this right. little side thing going kind of like, a you know, in a, in a crude analogy, like multitasking on a on a PC or something where, hey, I'm running all these other things. But then I'm over here. I'm playing, a, you know, solitaire, too, or something like that. Right. And in this case, he's, he's over there having a drink. At the same time, he's running all these things. And our character, Edward, is just incredibly nervous at one point of, you know, wait a minute, you're running the world's transportation systems. You can't be drinking. You know, oh, Edward, lighten up and have another, you know, a software cocktail, basically, yeah. that, uh, that yeah. the computer and has. So the human frailty that, that uh, you know, that we know for anyone who stepped behind a wheel, you know, having too much is just brought out through the computer. But you know, in, in, in a, in a, you know, in a magnitude order of magnitude, uh, you know, for, for given that control of the, the span of control that computer has, but still has the same human frailties. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. You know, I've been into computers for a very long time. Obviously you must have between your work and I don't, I don't know, outside of your work, if you deal with and do them a lot. I mean, I even build, build my own and I was, I miss the good old days when not everyone was doing it. I always feel kind of like, oh, now everyone's doing it. It's easy. I need a new hobby or something. But, uh, but the, I was curious when when I was reading it if you said you were getting influences from some things you were dealing with at work. Did you have to? Did you do a lot of sort of like extra side research on? On other like you know artificial intelligences and things like that when you were writing this. Um. Not so much about the artificial intelligence, but I did do on a lot of other things. Okay. Um, things like the, uh, you know, the whole uh, research efforts that are going with anti-gravity, you know, or gravity modification, those mm -hmm. types of things. So, um, uh, you know, th that type of research, quantum research, et cetera, nanotechnologies, uh, molecular manipulation, atomic manip manipulation, you know, those types of things I did a fair amount of research into. Yeah, yeah, I like no, I like the few of the neat ideas that you had about these uh, these resort islands that kind of move right. around and stuff. That that was a neat concept. Uh, I think we need those now since all these cruise ships are are just like falling apart out there. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> I guess at least some of them, you know, stranding all these people out in the middle of the water. But uh, I'd rather be on an island. At least it's sort of solid ground. But uh, right. Yeah. But that was sort of one of the uh, one of the ideas in it that that. Um, I, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, so if you had an island a mile, a couple of miles long that uh -huh. you can move around, 
could you move it offshore and say, this is my own country? Right. Period. Yeah. This is my own country. I'm producing passports. And by the way, you can stash all your money here and there's no taxes or minimal taxes. And, uh, you know, think how that would change just the uh, the entire dynamics of a financial system of the of the world. Oh, yeah, it'd be huge. I mean, there there's there's, you know, lots of people probably that would be able to take advantage or want to take advantage of that kind of stuff. I'm I'm not a money man or manager or person or anything like that but i know that a little bit enough to know that there there are big advantages to being able to do things like that and and well edward did they they end up in some of those areas for a while almost a little bit for protection and and for other reasons but uh the i like the fact that the character you know edward is at least although he, he he becomes something more as as the book goes on but at first he's definitely just kind of like he he's nobody special. He he he's just kind of like an everyman in, in a way. Right. You know, he he has uh he has that quality to him that that I I like. You know, it's 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 probably very easy then to to just, you know, for most people to pick up the book and read it and kind of identify with him as a character. Uh did was that the way you definitely wanted to go? Did you ever have different thoughts about that that he was Oh, somebody... no, no, no. That 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 what you've hit is sort of the fundamental pillar of the book. Uh-huh. Uh the reason Edward is actually um, selected by the computers, the reason he is, uh, the reason he he is in the situation he is, is because he is, as the book describes him, a uniquely ordinary person. Mm-hmm. He, if you were to take the planet and just he's he's that person exactly in the middle, like average yeah. everything out. Yeah, he's right. like, it, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, I mean, in fact, so much so mm-hmm. that he's unique in that way, which is somewhat of an oxymoron, obviously. Yeah, but it it is. I I like I like that that you mentioned that and 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 I completely can see that because what you see in this future society is that a lot of people have gone to to the extreme ends of things. You know, there aren't very many more or less every man or every type of, you know, the average person anymore. And everyone's everyone has a career or does a thing that's very and and you see this even nowadays that's super specialized. You know, they, they've, you know, oh, I just do this. My job is just to, you know, make buttons. That's not something in the book. But, I mean, that kind of an idea of, of people have gone to the point where there there aren't these sort of, uh, let's call them uh, the Swiss Army knife type of people that can do a lot of different things. Everyone's become very, very specialized. And Edward isn't really, really like that. But he has certain skills that come out later on that I kind of like seeing, you know, he's, I think he's a lot smarter than the computer systems have given him credit for too. And I, and I also think they've, they slightly have, there's something that you're, you're putting into the book about them sort of underestimating the, the, the sort of human factor. This is, this is a big ongoing theme in Star Trek. And obviously I, I, I know you're, you're someone that enjoys that, and and you can see that in this, where, you know, it would be like basically the classic, you know, example of Kirk outwitting a, a super sophisticated computer, in a way. And Edward slowly kind of, you know, without giving too much away, he, he definitely is, is more than ordinary to a degree. Right. Well, he is stepping up to the plate, um, but given the task that the computers have for him, I mean, given what is being asked of him, which is nothing less than altering, you know, the the paradigm for the entire species. Yeah, it's it's a huge thing that they that they that uh, that they basically put on his plate. 
Oh so, yeah, uh, yeah, and he has a lot of things that are thrust upon him. I mean, I, I, as I was reading it, I frankly like was thinking it, it, it sometimes. Man, if the, a lot of the things that happened to me, you know, or happened to me that happened to Edward, I'd probably just find some hole and kind of crawl into it and just, you know, okay, I'm done with all this. <laughs> he just keeps going though. He just he just keeps keeps at it, and uh, it, it's it's really interesting to read it and uh, and and what he has to deal with. The um, I wanted to bring up, and I, and I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but there is also one of the things that's a strong theme through this book is the idea of religion and how the future, you know, a couple hundred years from now, how that's portrayed. And right. do you want to comment on, on that in a way or what? what uh... Yeah, I mean, that, that was a, a fundamental, uh, you know, probably the fundamental aspect of the book mm-hmm. was uh, the entire quest for um, an answer, an yes. answer to the, uh, you know, to the question who is Douglas, a- been- Douglas Adams answer was 42, right? You know, so right. <laughs> exactly. What's the, what's the universe all about? What's God all about? That kind of stuff. So yeah, there's certainly a lot of that in here and, uh, it, and it's, uh, it's interesting. Well, it's certainly interesting to, to ponder and to look at it. I mean, it does, um, uh, you know, it, it challenges, one to think and say, okay, you know, what is the, uh, what is our, our understanding of, of God as we know it and who understands what and whose opinions mean what, mm-hmm. and how do we ever really get answers, you know, at, at, at what point? And it also goes into, um, and, and this is what I mean by the social institutions that, that, uh, that kind of come highlighted in the book, whose interests it is in, you know, for these types of discussions. There's just a lot of, you know, a lot of people in humanity themselves would prefer the status quo be kept. You know what? Don't change. Don't look. Mm-hmm. Don't. Yeah. Don't seek answers. It's don't, it's yep. too destabilizing. Yeah, there's definitely some definitely different interests going on in the book that you know they they want to keep themselves more or less. We're we're the thing. We want to stay in control and in power and and you know don't don't go looking behind the curtain, Dorothy. And, and that's, that's also a, you know, there's several, you know, themes that are woven between, you know, in and out between each other and around. And did you, uh, were you ever feeling as you wrote some of that, especially with the religious aspects that that would perhaps maybe not appeal to a certain audience? I mean, I have, I frankly think that in a sci-fi novel, that the, the kind of people that read those are pretty open-minded and, and would, there are certainly books out there that that have these kinds of themes going through them, especially in sci-fi. Did you did you ever feel like, oh, oh, maybe I'm gonna, you know, maybe I should well, take some I, of this out or anything like I, that? I actually, um, no, but I was surprised. I um, at the, you know, I, I, that's usually not in the sci-fi community, as you just pointed out. Sure, the sci-fi yeah. community is is you know, we don't believe in sci-fi or you know, or look to sci-fi if you're closed-minded by nature. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. that, so, that, so that wasn't a concern, but I was very surprised. Uh, someone put a review on Amazon just recently, a reverend of uh, some sort, and absolutely clobbered me on religious bounds, yeah. on a religious basis, and said, uh, you know, not appropriate to think of God in these terms, and just yeah. quoted the Bible and uh, and a few other things. Yeah, so it, it's... 
it's that, and, and I, I just wanted to bring it up. I was uh, was interested what your take on it is. I, I completely enjoyed reading those. I, I have very much, I think, uh, uh, the same kinds of attitudes and, and thoughts that you have that you put into this book. That's kind of the way I, I look at things, and, and I think, like, I, like you said and I said, the sci-fi community in general for this, reading this, are pretty open-minded bunch and it, it's a, it's a novel it's fiction you know and in that's the way i always break it down for some people i mean it's not right. like it's not like you're teaching a course in a high school and saying this is it or something like no, that it's, it's a completely different take on it and i never really quite understand when my my opinion about when someone would put a review up like that or have something to say about that is like, are you really that concerned for, for, for the rest of the world that, that, that's, you know, you feel this book is going to change, you know, in other words, my point is, is if this book you think by someone else reading it will change their opinions of things, then I guess you're a little, maybe you're not so secure in your beliefs, perhaps, you know, that, but anyway, it's, I like the idea and, um, that you you it it's just makes sense it really makes sense to me that you know, with this kind of tech with this kind of ai that these questions would come up in in what you wrote here yeah and 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 as well they should i mean i i wrote the book to develop as many questions as um you know to to highlight aspects of our existence and uh and and to and to you know throw up some questions to get people thinking hey wait a minute you know, that maybe there isn't really a good answer to that question. Or uh, maybe we are looking at it in just one way. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, to challenge some of the value structures that we've established. Um, because I'll tell you, uh, one of the really great questions that ling- that's lingering out there, and actually you mentioned it a little earlier when you, when you mentioned that you talked with your wife and, and talked about everyone having a cell phone and being plugged in. Yeah. It's sort of this, this, this thought for the future um, a lot will tell you that we are entering with the technology of the day that's coming. And I mean everything from 3D printing to nanotechnologies to medical technologies, which are just extraordinary, yeah. that are coming off the production lines even now, that the next decades uh, in front of us are going to bring a tremendous, tremendous – next century is going to be a tremendous um, time of abundance for the species. I mean far more so than we've even had now. Yeah, I think but, that um, – go ahead. Yeah, but that that level of abundance, and this is sort of gets into Star Trek in 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 a way, because uh, one of the great um, aspects of Star Trek, uh, I think, in all of them except Deep Space Nine, basically, was that um, that the uh, the behavior of the species sort of changed, um, and you you can actually remember this in, in one of the uh, in. Um, Contact when uh, when uh, Picard says, you know, the, the economics of the future are different. We don't, um, you know, we no longer uh, the acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force in society. And then he goes on saying how you know we work to better ourselves and, and each other type of thing. Yes, but, uh, so I always like that and, part. And, you know, I always like that part of that movie. Just it, it just makes so much sense, and and you know that it would come to that at some stage at some point. We either basically get to that stage. Or we pretty much blow ourselves apart, or you know what I mean, or where you go back to the right, stone or break into chaos or something. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's my point, and it's a point that I want to highlight with the book. That decision making, that stage is coming. It is very quickly coming upon us because our technologies are are, are not no longer linear. They're revolutionary. 
um, and they are changing things so dramatically and we're stepping into such abundance that it really allows for people and, and this will be for certain parts of society, right? Certainly not all of society. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a whole distribution issue that, that comes as well. But the next century is going to see that type of abundance where people actually can make that choice. Where people, are, you know, where the acquisition of wealth is likely not or doesn't have to be the driving force in society anymore, or at least not for a good part of it. So as you pointed out, it'll be interesting to see which way the species is going to go, is going to go. But but just the technology and the change it's bringing around in social structure is actually ha that decision is actually literally we'll see the beginnings of it in our lifetime. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, just you get to one, one thing that as you were talking about that, that kind of popped into my head was I, I thought about Bill Gates, you know, here's a guy that made a huge amount of money. He's still relatively, you know, he's not old, I wouldn't say. And, and, and now he's turning to, well, what, what do I do now? You know, and now, now I've gotten to this stage. What right. can I, what can, what do I do now? What, how can I better the society people set up things it put put things into motion and play that will have lasting effects and impact and there's you know other people throughout you know recent history and previous history that have done things like this but i think from what you're saying and i completely can see it and agree that i think there's going to be more and more of that more and more people and even not even so obvious and and that the rest right. of the world hears about but even like to the point of, eh, you know, like for, you know, the United States and I don't know, probably a good part of other areas of the world and Europe and that we have like a 40 hour work week, you know, yeah. you go, you go for your, you know, your 40 hour work week. That's the way it is. That's the way it's been. Well, you know what? There's a lot of jobs out there that are, are getting and probably I have been for a long time and maybe just artificially been pushed to kept, you know, they've kept them at a 40 hour, but they probably are not really that anymore. So what if like, hey, 10, 15, 20% of your time, you could do something else that may, may be something related to the company that you're currently at or a side project and, and you know, whatever, write a book, work on some research, do something, you know, with that extra time that isn't really necessary because the technology and what you do has gotten to the point that it used to take you this long to do it. Well, it doesn't really take you that long anymore because you have all these aids and assistance and other things and tools and ways to make it go more efficiently and better. Right. Department, you know, and, and just to support that completely, um, to, well, some of the research I did in the book, um, I, the Department of Labor did a study, U.S. Department of Labor did a study, and where they tell you what the, Amer the 21st century American worker is going to be like. Mm -hmm. And they say it's the end of the 40-hour work week. Um, it's a, which was a product of the industrial revolution, right? You know, three shifts working eight hours a day, keeping the factories run 24 seven. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and it's a, it's a thing where people will have dozens and dozens of jobs in, in different companies, uh, where they will do contract work for this one, then contract work for that one, do work overseas, and it'll be a far more an individual employment level. And that type of service-oriented employee will be one who's a technical expert in, you know, in, in several things. Um, you, you know, you, you can recall, not recall, but uh, there was a time when 85 to 90 percent of the U.S. population was in farming. OK. Yeah. And yeah. when the Industrial Revolution hit and, and, you know, people, the landlords laughed and said, what are these people going to do? Eat their eat their, you know, eat their products. But things change. And now one, between one and two percent of the United States is actually involved in farming. So because of mechanization and the same things happening in industry. 
So, you know, and over the next few decades, that is going to happen. Industry will take, you know, will become largely robotic more and more, you know, year by year, more and more robotic. And the worker that evolves will be one that can service, develop, build, program those types of machines for industry. So it's an evolutionary path that uh, that society is taking on this. But you can see the implications for the worker is uh, is phenomenal. Well, think of things like even service type stuff like doctors, dentists, right. uh, eye doctor. You know, the, well, I just think about some movies that I've seen in TV where like I can easily see in the future and it's not really that far away where you'll just go into like a little kiosk. You'll 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 stick your mouth in there and it'll take care of you. You know what I mean? To, and, yep. and, and, and probably better and more efficiently than a hygienist or a doctor could. And I'm not trying to put those people out of jobs. I'm saying they could do something else. Maybe they would be able to work on new techniques or, or whatever that would allow people to keep their teeth better and longer. Who, who knows? Lots right. of different things. But they would find something else to work on and to do. Like you said, those those people that – it's not like I, you know – those 80 whatever percent that farmed you know they're just walking around on the roads <laughs> without anything yeah. to do they they're the, you know society shifts into other areas like picard said like you you brought up very you know accurately that they they now pursue what their interests are and what they're good at and and that that they there's there's always going to be something else to conquer or to do Sure. And, and it doesn't occur in a day. It, it, it's, you know, so you have generations of people that will move into other areas. But, uh, but it is unsettling. Um, it is uh, something people aren't used to because in many ways, you know, society has been stagnant in some senses in an industrial period for many, many, many decades. Yeah. So yeah, th- this is just traumatic change. It really is civilization changing. I mean, at me as a sci-fi geek, uh, you know, the, seeing the future unfold like this is something I've dreamt about. It's oh, it's just... very exciting, and, and and a lot of what you brought in 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 the Edward of Planet Earth book is is very very what I would call like uh, there's terminology people will call it for, but very very feasible possible, you know, technology and things that are not really that far off, and and very it's easy to see the the evolution of of what you've put in the book from where we are even now like i i mentioned my wife earlier and she's a teacher and i think i said that they we we constantly talk about what, why why at the, in this day and age why are there still schools <laughs> I, I i mean you know even just a few years ago she would tell me that cuz cuz the students she teaches in a high school and and she says, well, you know, they can't count on everyone having a computer and this kind of stuff. And that was still talked about, say, five years ago, 10 years ago. And I said, but in this, even now, maybe there's still a couple, but it's gotten to the point. And I said, why don't they all just sit at home and they're all like, you know, hooked in and you, you're teaching somewhere in your home or wherever you're doing it. And it's just broadcast. It's just video cast the lesson or whatever. Just think about all, no more traffic, you know, you don't have all the, you know, kids going to school and all getting sick with each other, you know, it, it, that is to me not too far off at all. I, I, and the not just that, the safety things, you know, all these things that happen in schools, well, not all, but I mean, obviously there's been some incidents, you know, in the last year, six months, year, whatever, that safety and concerns, they spend a lot of time, for example, at her school about that, and you would, all that would be eliminated. 
Oh yeah, and I mean to say nothing of the uh, of the ability to teach people, you know, halfway across the globe. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, people growing up in a village actually have a shot at life now, have a shot at education, have a shot at you know at at, at a future because you know they have access to to knowledge that's just unbelievable. I mean, anyone with an iPad or an iPhone now that goes to look up all the courses that are available for free from universities. I mean, you can run through any degree you want from advanced physics to um, to literature, all online available for you for nothing. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, it's it's the, you know, it, as the phrase wherever it came from, the future is now. I, I, I completely agree and, and see what you're what you're saying. And it, it's it's exciting. It is exciting. You know, I, I the other thing that uh, I talk about on the podcast sometimes and I've talked to with friends about it is to see. You know, it used to be, you know, we used to be kind of these little geeky kids who like this kind of stuff. And but now everyone seems to be into this, you know, because there's computers everywhere and it's kind of hard to avoid. You know, the future has become the present. And it's like, well, you know, I told you it was I told you it was coming. I told you it was going to be here. Right. And, <laughs> you know, there's a great feeling in that. And you know what? The, the amazing thing about it is if you take a look at the past 25 years, 25 years ago, we may have just been starting with internet, but we, we really didn't have a World Wide Web moving very well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, no GPS, no digital, you know, uh, no cell phones, no laptops, none of that. Right. To where we have now, I mean, as far as a civilization goes, in 25 years, that's it's blindingly fast. Can you imagine what the next 25 is going to be like? I mean, it's just, and that's within the span of a lifetime. It, the amount of change that the species is going uh, is undergoing is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's definitely accelerated. I mean, I, you know, when you just think about even a, what life was like 50 years ago, what life was like 100 years ago, and the, the span of time for man, that's that's just a tiny, tiny little speck on, on you know, uh, you know, in 50 years, it's just I think you said earlier exponential. You know, how much things will change, even greater than they have in the last 50 if that's if that can be believed even and uh i'm just happy like my mom and my my wife's mother can still they, they can still get on a computer <laughs> they haven't yeah. you know they're you know if that generation can do it and, and and now with with the younger generation pretty much growing up with it it'll it'll just become that's just their world you know it won't be any different for them that that is just what and uh you, you can't um you just might as well enjoy it Right. So was there um, anything else that you wanted to mention specifically about the book? And then I had a couple other little wrap up things that we could talk about, but about the book that you wanted to say. I know I, um, I we, we kind of tangented off into a whole tech talk a yeah. little bit. Well, the whole back of the, the back of the backbone of, uh, of the, uh, the whole uh, book, if you will. Um, yeah, actually, I would just uh, say I've been very, very lucky in this. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you've seen uh, the book on Amazon that I had, I was very lucky that Buzz Aldrin, Bill Mai, the science guy, and Bill Prady, among many others, gave me really great reviews on this. So um, I, I think I'd like to think I, I hit a niche. For those of you who enjoy sci-fi comedy um, and sort of want a real far out, uh, a little satirical look at what the future might be, I think you'll find a lot of truths within um, just a kind of a, uh, a wacky, zany world that, uh, that that should be a pleasurable reading experience, which is what I'm shooting for. Yeah, I, 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 I've definitely enjoyed it. The I, I would say that for 
the the cool thing about it, if you're definitely if you're into t- to tech and and, and a, a future that is n- is very easy to believe it will happen, that this is definitely a book you'd enjoy. And it's it you know I read a fair amount of sci-fi and some fantasy too, but this book I feel is is a little unique in in the comedy and it, it has a very believable sense to it all so i you know it wasn't like oh that could never happen i never said that as i was reading it and it's it's very you certainly know your tech let's just say (laughs) you you have a good grasp on on where things could could certainly end up i wanted to i I was thinking a couple minutes ago when you were talking i wanted to mention uh, because it seems so appropriate have have you ever seen a television show called person of interest do you know that Uh, show at all no are you much of it are you much of a TV watcher? <laughs> I, I wish I, I wish I could, but you know, I, I work a lot. And, yeah. Um, well, I, I know that feeling. The, the yeah. reason I brought it up and I, you, you might want to look into it just, just as a side thing sometime person of interest started, I think this is its second year. So it's been on two years. It's actually one of the people behind the show that, that created uh, the show is JJ Abrams. So, oh, okay. so, the, but the point of the show is basically someone a person, uh, one of the characters on the show, more or less created like a supercomputer. And the point was it was post 9-11, and the idea of the computer, and this is all based in the United States, basically, that, um, or, well, the the show is based there, but the computer is a worldwide network. It, it sees everything. And, and it was created post, and the, the premise of it was the system that uh, was created basically looks at everything webcams everywhere has access to everyone's like email accounts mm-hmm. has access to what everyone's looking at online and the point being is that it was supposed to search out possible threats to national security and and then this this computer obviously then would spit out to some you know shady government because they're all shady government organizations right so but what they, other kind <laughs> of government organization is there <laughs> so it would basically alert them of threats possible threats before they would happen like hey somebody was online looking at you know firearms and then it, the machine would would pick up them over on this you know area of town and and talking to somebody who's a known associated of this and it's very believable because it's it, it and it the one reason I wanted to bring it up because it's, it's a supercomputer system that is looking at everything and analyzing all this data and then basically distilling it down to that person's could be a threat that person could be a threat the show itself actually the 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 idea of it is is that the computer was so good and sophisticated that it was picking up threats that weren't really national security threats. They were things like, oh, you know, somebody is in trouble because they got behind on their, their payments to their bookie or whatever. So he, he's, right. he could die. So this the machine would start spitting out what, what the government called like these sort of non-essential things. In other words, they, the, these aren't really a big, they're not threats to the country, but these people could die, so that this this guy who created this machine went off and hired kind of another guy to help him, and they go around and deal with these these things that are going to possibly hurt people, individuals, but not you know blow up buildings in the country or something. Anyway, the right. the reason I wanted to bring it up for you is it seems so much like some of the supercomputer systems in your Edward of Planet Earth book, and the fact that they can distill and pull in all this data. 
and then come up with a conclusion based on, on all of that. So you, you might want to take a look. It's on, um, I, I know you're out of the country, but it runs here, you know, on CBS. I don't know if that means anything over in the UK. <laughs> I don't know how those shows translate. I know some people on well, there. Actually, they have a lot of American shows. So I'm sure it'll be here. So I'll yeah, take a look. I think some of the guys in the forum that are from the UK have, have maybe caught it somehow. I know that sometimes they're a little behind on versus what we get. You know, one, one of these days, you know, well, that's one thing I look forward to, Nick, is, is the day where TV and movies are just pretty much out there all at once, all at the same time, and easily available. And if they want to stop uh, people from pirating things and stop other ways of, of, uh, of access, then they, may, they, they just need to have an easy system. And if the lawyers could just get together and agree on some kind of a, a payment plan, like you know, iTunes does for music, like they eventually created there, where, hey, 99 cents a song, you know, you can buy it pretty much, you know, easily and conveniently, then, then this whole thing, though, when a movie is released in one country and another country doesn't get it for three months, what do they think is going to happen? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But person uh, of interest, though, check it out when you get a chance, yeah. I will. I always sort of laugh about the uh, the iTunes 99 cent song because every time I buy something like that, I started thinking, well, you know what? I can remember playing twelve bucks for uh, you know for CDs or or a lot more for eight songs I didn't like and one decent song that was on it. Yeah. So. Yep. No, I agree. I bought a lot of way back in the day. Uh, I bought a lot of forty fives. I bought a lot of individual songs. Right. I actually forty five records because, I, and I bought some albums, regular, you know, regular albums when I really really thought I was going to enjoy most of the stuff on there. But I was I was like that. You know, I had that feeling like I I really don't want to buy this whole album. I just want this one song. Exactly. So. Um, Hey, I had a little fun thing to do at the end because I know you're a Star Trek fan too, and mm-hmm. I, I thought I have a couple of uh, things that are uh, Star Trek questions that I would thought I would just zap at you quickly, and you and you can tell me your your answers or your responses. These aren't things to really think about a lot; just your uh, what uh, you know first comes to mind for you. So, you ready, Nick? <laughs> With that big setup, the, the Star Trek first comes to mind test. They're, they're, they're not really. It's more of your um, your likes and, and 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 favorites and things like that. It isn't like, hey, what crewman died in episode ten? No, none of that. Right. It's not Got like it. Star Trek <laughs> trivia. Don't worry about that. You can you can put away your. Uh, your trivia book or your or your uh, let's actually see. I could go with that too, but um, um, but uh, okay, okay. So uh, so Nick, what's uh, who's your favorite Star Trek captain? Kirk. Oh, good. Did I say that out loud? Good. <laughs> All right. How about your favorite of the Star Trek TV series? Um, I gosh, that's that's tough for me. I'll, I'll tell you a sort of a. Um, descending order i think okay uh, yeah if the, you want to do that the original series deep space nine uh i think i'm the only one who liked enterprise um uh next generation and um voyager so that was so which way did you go on that the 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 did you end up at descending your... descending order of like i mean uh, you know uh, next generation um the original series was my favorite oh okay all right that's what i thought you meant okay all right, yeah, good, and uh, yeah, n- trust me. There's other people who like Enterprise, so uh, and I think it's getting more interest now because there's a lot of people who kind of just didn't watch it when it was first on, and now that you can watch it online and things. Uh, how about your? Uh, do you have a favorite episode from from any of those series, or or, or uh, anything in particular 
episodes that you oh, enjoyed a lot? I know there's probably more yeah. than one, but how about a couple yeah. of them? Um, I like the uh, what the uh, Reachback episode in Deep Space Nine, where they um, where they they go back to the uh, to the original fight. Oh, for, okay. Uh, with the Tribbles. Yeah, you know, the yeah. Tribble, well, uh, Reachback episode. Right, more more Tribbles, Tribbles and Tribulations. I think it was called officially. Yeah, so they go back to the original series on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun one, definitely. Pretty, uh, pretty uh, neat to see that. Yeah, and uh, the the gosh, what was it? The alternate universe with Kirk. I mean, that was a a classic too. Oh yeah, Mirror Mirror. Yeah. All right, yeah how mirror. about of the um, how about of the movies? What would you, which would be your favorite of the films? Star um, Trek films. That's a, a good one. First Contact I, was a great one for me. Okay. All right. Um, this last one was pretty extraordinary, you know. Uh, and J.J. Abrams did a fantastic job with that. Oh, I'm and glad. Then, um, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, some, some people, some Trek fans were, you know, it, it can be a little div- divisive, you know, as far as like some people didn't really care for it, and others really got on board and said, "Hey, this is pretty cool." Yeah, I, uh, I'm definitely I in that camp. I mean, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, the Onion did a special on it, I think, and they said. Uh, um, Star Trek fans regale J.J. Adam uh, Abrams for getting it right, you know, <laughs> just that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think he he hit enough of what we like, uh, you know, to to make it right. enjoyable. I mean, he he definitely changed things, and and some people, like you were saying during the podcast a bit, you know, some people have a hard time with that a little bit. And uh, right, but hey, it it made a bunch of money, and that 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 means you'll get another one. So in yes, which we're going to exactly. get. In in like another uh another month or so so uh so you're probably looking forward to the new movie then too i don't know if you've if you get a chance to stay up on that uh news oh yeah i've been i've been just trying to work every angle i can here in london to get (laughs) to get into the premiere or something like that well you should because i i think from what i know and have read that they're getting it maybe about a week earlier than we are getting it in the states i know i i I, I, I think we're getting it may 9th here yeah, and and that's yeah about a week earlier than we're getting it. So I'm kind of jealous, you know. I, I need to maybe use some of my frequent flyer miles and come over there. <laughs> I need to just fly over here for the weekend to watch a movie and come back. So uh, uh, I, I can understand that. I don't think my wife, you know, would, would understand if I did the, the same thing. I'm going to the U.S. to watch Star Trek for the weekend. Yeah, yeah. So you're pretty much permanently based in London, right? These days. Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm actually I am stationed with the U.S. Embassy here. So uh, I will be here, and I do make frequent trips back to the U.S., but I'll be here for the next year or so. Where's your Where's Where's home for you in the U.S.? Where are you from originally? I should have asked. Well, originally New York City. Okay. But like all uh, you know, government bureaucrats, I, I, I base out of Washington. Okay. All right. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Just uh, I want you to hang on the line when we're done officially recording. But uh, the last question that I had related back again to your book uh, was, do you have plans to do more, either uh, a follow-up to, to this one or in, a, in maybe do something completely different? No, I, I really I think there's um, I, I've, I've had enough positive feedback with this book that uh, that uh, I really and I think there's a continuing story to be told here. So I, I you know, like life gets busy and, and things yeah. sort of get in the way. But uh, but as I clear them out, I'm definitely writing a sequel for this. Oh, OK. So I'm looking forward to actually starting on that. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I've. I've dallied with writing short some short stuff, short fiction and short stories, and it's it's. Everyone, like you, I think we said at the very beginning, you said um, 
everyone, I think for most people, especially people who like to read and enjoy this kind of stuff, always have that kind of itch a little bit. But it's right. it's it's quite a bit more difficult and a little bit and a quite a bit more complicated than <laughs> than than most people think. Well, uh, you it, know, and you really got to stick with it too. That that's the other is. thing. You know, all that all that is true. Yet, nonetheless, um, if you, if you feel the, the the passion for it, you, one should definitely write. I mean, oh you sure, know what? I, yeah. I got to tell you, first writing, you know, moving into a novel, um, I, which just you know what, just writing a novel is an extraordinary accomplishment for anyone, um, regardless of even sales and stuff. Just being able to take something like that through completion for all the writers out there who have done that—that's just, I mean, it really says something. It's an amazing. It is. Thing it's like do. doing, uh, you know, somebody who does a marathon or something. It's it, right. it, it takes takes commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, by the way, one of the things that was just unbelievably um, uh, helpful to me was Stephen King's book. Stephen King wrote a book on writing. And, you know, there, there are a million books out there will tell you how to write and this and that. But, it, but his was really, really good. It was just perfect. I mean, it, it, it kind of laid it out to three things. Plot, character, description, mm-hmm. and the balance between those three. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a small paperback book. It's very old, but it's just, uh, you know, an, an extraordinary piece of work. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard people mention that before. That, that's come up in different, at different times when I, I've heard people in, like, a magazine article with a, they, you know, talk to an author or, or somewhere online. Somebody has a story about it. And, and I, I hear a lot about that Stephen King book, people going back to that and saying, oh, yeah, that, that was a big help. You know, it, and, and them saying things like, yeah, it seems pretty basic, but, the you know, he kind of lays it out nicely and, and it makes sense. And it was it was something that a lot of people I've heard say has helped them. Yeah, yeah it was, it was uh, very good for me personally. Great, great. Well, uh, it, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. I'm glad Kirk is your favorite Star Trek captain because I, I would have to erase this podcast if, if no no i'm just kidding but he you know the original series in star trek and, and kirk and all them was what i grew up on watching their reruns of those shows so that that's kind of always my first love of trek so the next generation was pretty good too but i i you know when, when the, the sometimes the first is always going to be you know have that special place for uh for you I, I think, I don't know, you know, someone ought to take a look at the personalities of the captains over time. And, uh, I mean, here in the U.K., you just, I mean, Patrick Stewart tops the charts as far as Trek fans go, which, yeah. you know, is, is no no surprise. Right. Uh, however, you know, if you take a look at them, uh, and maybe this is just spending too much time in the government and maybe even in the <laughs> defense department, but, uh, you know, you start to see the personalities of different people and saying, oh gosh, you know, what a bureaucrat, you know, in one of them or something or other. And, uh, yeah. and yeah. uh, you see Kirk who was very, very little tied to the bureaucracy. Yeah. So, well, I think they were very much, I've always thought the different series and the different captains and the characters were very much also a product of, of the era and the times that they were shown in and, and, and done i mean there's there there's so much of that that's involved in 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 what we got for those shows but uh but they're all great and it's been a pleasure talking to you nick uh, i want everyone to uh to check out book or nick's book excuse me edward of planet earth by nicholas i'm going to try the name one more time f timiatis is that yeah. pretty close? Okay. All right. And uh, I will put, of course, uh, and I'll, I'll get this information to you, Nick, so you can broadcast it wherever you'd like, Twitter, Facebook, and all the usual suspects and places. But 
the podcast will be going up uh, over this weekend, and and also um, there'll be links in in the podcast notes to get to Nick's book directly on Amazon. So it's been a pleasure, and uh, I very much enjoyed our uh, our our somewhat on on topic discussion. <laughs> I, I can I can tend I tend to sometimes branch off when but when the mood strikes and but I think that's uh, that's just the way I think you get good conversation. Well, it's been a great experience for me. Thank you very much. Okay, great. Uh, just hang on, and uh, I'll be back in a moment for the people listening to the podcast, and I'll talk to you in a second, Nick. I just want to thank Nick again for for taking time out. It was pretty late over in uh, London when he was uh, talking to me and we were recording that Skype interview, but it was really interesting, and uh, I want to suggest everyone check out Nick's book, Edward of Planet Earth, over on Amazon.com. I'm just going to run down briefly the upcoming podcast schedule, and then I'm going to get out of here and uh, upload this and all that good stuff. Uh, Next week, you will be getting a special guest cast, It will be uh, a discussion about the Alien Nation movie with Chris and Kenny. That'll be on April 14th. On the 21st, in a couple of weeks, when I'll be back, I'm going to cover the TOS episode of Star Trek, uh, Plato's as Stepchildren from Season 3. And then on the 28th of April, uh, we'll have another interview, sorry, interview, no. We'll have another guest show with uh, Mark will be back. Mark Daniels, or M5 on the forum. He's going to look at another classic sci-fi movie. And this is going to be kind of appropriate, especially after today's uh, podcast with uh, with Nick on, on the, his book. This movie is called Colossus, the Forbin Project, which is kind of about a supercomputer system. Uh, that That's a, a classic sci-fi film that most people that enjoy this kind of thing should be watching. So that's it for this week, uh, Treks in Sci-Fi. I hope everyone enjoyed the interview, Uh, and again, thanks, Nick, for for taking time out, and uh, sorry to keep you up late over there in London. (laughs) All right, everyone, take care. Bye-bye for now.